This is episode number 1069 with New York Times bestselling author Grant Cardone. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Carlos Ruiz Zafron once said, making money isn't hard in itself. What's hard is to earn it doing something worth devoting one's life to. And Mahatma Gandhi said, happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. Today's guest is a friend and New York Times bestselling author and real estate mogul, Grant Cardone. He operates and owns seven privately held companies, a private equity real estate firm with a multi-family portfolio of assets worth over $2 billion. He has earned the title as a top crowdfunder in the world by raising over $500 million in equity via social media. He is a New York Times bestselling author, 11 different business books, including the 10X Rule, which led to the establishment of the 10X Global Movement and the 10X Growth Conference, which is now the largest business and entrepreneur conference in the world. I'm always excited to have Grant on my show because every time something new unlocks for him and something new unlocks for me, and the wisdom he shares is truly inspiring on his journey for his own personal growth and business growth. And he opened up in a big way and even shared some behind-the-scenes stories from his new show, Undercover Billionaire Season 2, where Grant goes undercover with just $100 in his pockets to find out if he can start a business and grow it up to $1 million in just 90 days without using his name or any context. It's crazy what he's doing. And in this episode, we discuss the importance of equity and why you should make it a top priority. The biggest challenges Grant faced while filming Undercover Billionaire, how to get people to buy into your vision consistently, the moment that changed Grant's life and put him on his path to healing drug addiction from his past, the power of negotiation and why most people don't do it right, how to find out what a person's motivation is and how to use it for good, what it says about you and your business if you start resenting your customers, how to build wealth and stay happy, and so much more. This one's a powerful one. Make sure you share it with someone you think would be inspired by this by sending them the link, lewishouse.com slash 1069. Or you can simply copy and paste wherever you're listening to this on the podcast app you're at and share it over on social media. Make sure to tag me and Grant and share it with your friends that would be inspired. And of course, if this is your first time here, click the subscribe button right now on Apple Podcast if you want us to reach more people in the world and help more people improve their lives life. When you subscribe, when you leave a review, that helps us spread the message of greatness to more people. So again, click that subscribe button. And in a moment, we bring you the one and only Grant Cardone. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about our guest, my good friend, the man, Grant Cardone, back in the house for probably the third or fourth time. Grant, welcome back to the show, my man. Lewis, you know what? I always love being with you because I'm always different every time I get here, and so are you. So you're getting better, and I'm just getting different. I hope, hope I'm getting a little better. As, <laughs> We're always a new person. We're always reinventing ourselves. You know, it's every 9 to 12 to 15 months, we do a conversation here, and it's fun to see you. Uh, you know, from the first interview a few years ago on this type of format, I think you're at 90 million in assets. Now you're, at, I believe, over two billion in assets within the last four years. Yeah. So it's been it's been inspiring to see your trajectory and growth. I think you're the 
the the biggest crowdfunder in the world with raising over five hundred million in equity via social media. Is that still true? Uh, I don't know anybody that's done that much with 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 no ads and no influencers uh, direct to to retail investors and like yourself and and. Um, you know, it's pretty, 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 uh, pretty good deal. It's pretty big, say. man. Yeah, it's pretty big. I wanted to dive in. You, you've done some amazing stuff, especially in the last year with this show called Undercover Billionaire. Before I talk about the show, I want to give some people some nuggets and and ask you what are what are three things that you believe rich people do differently than poor people? Uh, rich people do not value money the way poor people do. They 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 invest money. They don't spend it. You know the best. The best spending is still worse than the best. In, the, the the worst investment. Like you could make a bad investment that would still be better than a smart spend. Really? So what, what's a what's a smart spend? Or what's a smart spend versus a bad? I mean, spend? I don't really know anything that's a smart spend. But you know, you spend money <laughs> when you spend money, you, you don't get an investment back. Mm. And when you invest money, at least you got a possibility. I mean, at the very at the very least, you get a tax write off. So if I spend money on a belt. Um, I can't write it off. I can only wear it. And if I invest money in a Grant Cardone belt and wear it on stage and it flops as a product and nobody ever buys it, it's a, at least a write-off. It was at least a promotion. So a bad investment is still better than a smart spend. So uh, wealthy mm. people don't spend money. They invest money. Uh, number two, they also know that money it, money is not required I think a lot of us, if we grew up poor, we believe it takes money to make money. Our parents told us that. Uh, maybe a grandparent or the neighbor or somebody said that to us because that was their, how they justified not having their breakthrough and getting trapped. They're like, oh, my, the reason I didn't get out. And we, we know, every, we know every, everybody's got an excuse in their lifetime. Everybody uses them at some point in their lifetime to trap themselves. Uh, th this idea that it takes money to make money is not true. It's a myth. It's 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 the number one reason why I did the show, the Discovery mm. Show, to debunk that on TV, that I didn't need any money at all. Uh, they they offered me a hundred bucks. I'm like, just keep it, dude. Like, no, no, we got to give it to you. It's part of the show. And I'm like, I don't need the hundred. They're like, no, but you got to take the hundred. It's part of the show. So, uh, the third thing I would say about wealthy people is they're. I mean, different people have different ways they invest, but they tend to be more focused on the long-term appreciation of an asset rather than give me money this second. And, and I think the get, they're, they're, they're not stuck in this get rich quick thing. It's a delayed gratification. Yeah. They're more like, yeah, I'd rather have wealth tomorrow than rich today. Mm. And, and they do have a distinction between the rich and the wealthy. The, the, you know, the super wealthy are looking to create wealth beyond their own means and needs. Like they're not thinking about their kids, their boat, their plane. I know people think that, but that's not actually true. They're actually thinking about how do I create wealth for a, a lot of people? Amazon's got a million employees. Yeah. Now, now most of them only earn minimum wage, but there's some people at the upper level of Amazon that are making fortunes. Yeah, and, I, and I'm curious, you, you wanted to debunk this myth of that it takes money to make money, which is something I heard a lot growing up. And a lot of people think, well, unless I, I can't make it because I can't invest it until I have it. So what were the lessons you learned, uh, you know, starting from essentially zero, having no money, no context, no uh, relationships, no op uh, opportunities in a town that you went to for this show? What did you realize 
were the keys to actually making money, even if you didn't have any? Well, as you see the show, you see that I actually never make any money, right? So uh, the two girls, they, they actually try, they, they follow three of us. And the two girls went out and got a job in the first week. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong or my way is better or worse, but, but they are strategies, okay? They're, they're different strategies. I was not there to get a job or to earn money. I was there looking for one thing, opportunity. I never spent time looking for money ever the entire uh, 90 days, okay? I'm not looking for money. I was actually looking for contracts through the contacts. I wasn't looking for money because I knew the evaluation of the company in the last um, segment, an evaluator will come in and determine what my company's worth, my new company, right, that I created. And at that point, I just need to validate to him Dude, my company's worth this based on that. Lewis, the entire 90 days, I never touched the first 100 they gave me. And this was to prove to people, dude, you do not need money. Like, it's just, it's not true you need money. You do need contacts. You need people. You need relationships. You need people. You need, people. You need the right people, though. The right people that are already in play. Okay? Just because a guy's got money. I remember a, a, a billionaire friend of mine, uh, you know, he could buy a jet. And I said, hey, Bob, should I buy a jet? He said, you should, I shouldn't. Meaning Grant should because, and he's way wealthier than I am. He could have bought 40 of them. He's like, I don't have a place to go in mine. You, have a, you could use yours every day. So you, mm. you got to find somebody that's in place, somebody that not just has money, but somebody that wants to do more with their money. So you'll notice in the first uh, 10 days, I don't spend a hunt, any money. I don't spend money on shelter, not on food, and not on water. Nothing. Then what I do is I end up accumulating assets. And it's unfortunate that the viewer doesn't see this. Within mm. five days, I have two vehicles. One was given to me by Discovery. And the other one was a $40,000 Jeep that I basically used uh, from Ryan, this guy I met, and told him, I'm going to sell your Jeep. I'm going to drive it around town and put 10 miles a day on it, and I'm going to sell it. Well, that's a $43,000 asset. Uh, my truck was worth four grand. I still had my hundred dollars. I lived in a forty-six thousand dollar RV that I was trying to sell. So, yeah. uh, and the, what, what's the other thing I did? And I picked up ten thousand dollars to do in a fifteen percent partnership in the equity of the upside of this guy's company. So, literally in ten days, wow. I was accumulating contacts that could get me equity. And the, and the part part of that story is, man, go get you some equity. You know, Jay-Z talks about this. You're getting, you know, so many of you young brothers are getting an advance while I'm picking up the equity. Ooh. Yeah, they're trying to get the, the get rich quick. Let me give you the money now. Give it now, to me now. Where the publishers get getting long-term residual income for decades yeah, yeah. off of Ke your Kevin off Hart. Of your Look work. at what Kevin Hart did with this, with this show, right? He owns that show. He owns the ticket sales. He was willing to promote it, not just be a comedian, where Richard Pryor showed up and got his check told his jokes. Uh, Kevin Hart says, yeah, I'm going to show up. I'm going to tell my jokes, but I'm going to own, I'm going to own the entire platform, the equity. So how do you get someone to give you $10,000 when you have nothing to give them in return? Or what is it that you're selling them uh, a greater promise in return? So what I did was I pitched this guy. I said, look, he's a business owner. He wants traffic in his company. Every, every business owner wants traffic. Every entrepreneur wants traffic to their website. And I said, look, I'm going to drive traffic to your store. He owned a mattress store, big margins. 
And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure you have the biggest weekend that you've ever been here. And uh, I said, if you give me $6,000, I'll take the six grand to the store. In fact, you don't give me the money. Just call it in and approve it. I didn't want to touch his money. I never asked anybody for any money. And I said, I'm going to go run a promotion for you. I'm going to put together the banners, the logos. I'm going to stand out in the street. I'm going to drive the traffic to your place. What do you want, Grant? Uh, Lewis, what do you want, Lewis? Uh, I did that more than once, by the way. What do you want, Lewis? And <laughs> you I, did? Because my name was Lewis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, dude, I don't want anything. He tried to give me money to do this. I don't want your money. I just want the opportunity. I want to prove myself. Because what I really wanted from him was I wanted him to front the bill at the print shop mm. so that he could put me in play. Well, I went and ran the whole promotion that weekend. I said, if you, if you send them, if you just authorize the spend, I'll conduct the promo. I'll run it and do it. We did $91,000 worth of mattress sales. We no did 15000 that weekend and then another 65000 over the, the next three weeks. And he's like, dude, you're a star. Now, now he's like, hey, what do you want for what you did for me this weekend? That was the best weekend we've ever had. And I'm like, I don't want anything except to be your partner. So, so you wanted equity? I want to be your partner, dude. And I said, <laughs> I want 15% of the upside of your company. I said, what's fair? He's like, 15%. Everything above what I'm doing now, I'll give you 15%. He, he's the one that made the offer. I said, that's awesome. Wow. And then that's when I said, Hey, can you give me an advance of 10,000 on the 15%? People think that I asked for 10 grand. I actually didn't get 10,000. I got an advance on a partnership, which is even wow. better. Wow, that's fascinating. So you never really you never asked for money. You said give me equity with everything. Give me equity, and then once I got the equity agreement on the upside, uh, most people are will, willing to give you this. Because it's more than they've already made. They're already making a certain amount. They've never crossed past that probably in years. So they're like, okay, if you can help me 10 exit, I'll give you a 15%. I don't want a piece of what you're already doing. That's not fair. That's an unfair deal. I mean, you know, people are like, I need to ask for more. Yeah, but you don't want to ask and be look stupid. Like you can't yeah. ask somebody to give you something of a company they already have. Also, it's interesting because, they again, they didn't show this. And, and I look forward to kind of breaking this thing down. We're going to actually, I'm going to create a whole platform where I go in and break the show up and show people what they didn't see. When I left Vegas to fly to Pueblo, uh, the production company said, hey, what's your first move? First move, I'm going to the bank to drop off the 100. Second thing, I'm going to the gym to meet people. Third thing is, I'm going to find a business for, for sale, and I'm going to see if the guy that owns the company can give me a place to sleep. Those three things happened exactly the way I predicted before I got to Pueblo, before I even knew I was going to Pueblo. I mean, it happened just every one of them. And then Discovery came to me at four days and said, bro, you got to slow down. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> we don't have a TV show if you keep winning. Right. If you, if you make it happen in two weeks, what are we going to do? I'm like, okay, come out here and watch me throw up. Okay. Come, on, come out here and watch. I'm sick. I was sick from altitude sickness. I'm like, what, 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 you guys got to cover how hard this is for me. I'm terrified. I'm cold. My back hurts. I don't have a good place to sleep. I'm pissing in a bottle. And then they cut all that out of the show. So, so um, the point of that story is quit going for some dead Benjamins and start mm. getting you some equity. Okay. hundred dollar bills are dead. They're from the past. Equity is the future. And you're better off with a future if you believe in yourself than you are with a dead Benjamin. What are th some 
some things people should be looking for in terms of the right people or the right uh, products or companies to say, okay, and how to position and package themselves to make a partnership equity deal? What should they be looking for and how can they position and package the way you did? Yeah, so like in Pueblo, there's 112,000 people that live there. The average household income there is $24,000 a year. Household income. Like it's, it's one of the most beat up, economically beat up cities in America. They, they were at 8% unemployment when the country was at three. When COVID hit, it went to 22. Wow. Like just ridiculous, right? So now when I'm in a problem environment like that, you have to do the math. So I'm like, okay, there's 100, uh, 112,000 people there. I, I can't meet them all and I don't want to meet them all. I only have 90 days. So then I said, okay, who's got the money in this town? The businesses have the money in the town. This is the unfair advantage I have in this show is that I did not go there to start a new business. I went there mm. to find a business that was already banking. A lot of people think did I Did you have that intention before? Uh, 100%. It, I said, I, there's yeah. no way I'm going to start a new business. There's 34 million businesses in America. America does not need a new business. And it's so hard to launch and create momentum, especially if you don't, even with your audience, it's hard to launch Dude, a new business. it is so ridiculous. It is so stupid what people are doing today. I'm going to start a new beauty salon. I'm going to start a new masseuse place. I'm going to start a new cosmetologist house. I'm going to start a new, you got a new idea. Nobody needs it. Like, if, if you were an alien looking down at pl uh, the United States of America and saying, okay, what is there too much of? Restaurants, bars, and businesses. There's too many of them. And then, and then somebody, some kid pops up, Paul pops up and says, I'm going to start a new business. And, and the guy from outside the planet is looking down there saying, well, that's stupid. Why don't you just go two-thirds of all the businesses in America break even or lose money? So what I'm hearing you say, Grant, is uh, a lot of people have the dream of wanting to start and launch a business. But what I'm hearing you say is it's probably a lot smarter to go find a failing business or a business that's breaking even jump in, add value, and see if you can 10x that. Dude, that's, that's how you get on planes. That's how you, you, know, you go to the hospital. You need emergency care. You don't build a hospital. You just go to the hospital. You want food, you go to Whole Foods. You want gas, you go to the gas station. It's no different in business. It's a, called a going concern for a reason. Find a going concern that's got a brand. Go in. That's what I did. I just went in and added value. Once I added value, actually, we end up splitting off another business out of that. So, so out of that relationship, your, your first question was, hey, who are you looking for? I'm looking for contacts that can actually become contracts. I'm looking for specific relationships. They have to have money. They have to have credibility. They have to have credit lines. That's the only people I was looking for in Pueblo. Out of 112,000 people, are there 50 of them? I need to meet 50 people that have money, credit, and credibility. How did you feel? Because uh, I saw in you know the first episode that you got rejected a few times. How did you feel from someone who is getting yeses a lot and building their business so fast to go into a place where people just say, nah, I don't believe in you, or ah, you don't seem credible, or how did you take it in security-wise in internally? Well, what, what you, again, you, pieces you don't hear is I was in this meeting and this guy starts flexing on me. <laughs> and he literally, like, I th had to sit there and, and, and listen to his, well, I did 30, I raised $30 million and 
I bought all this and I put this together and I'm the king and la, la, la. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, dude, I'd like to just drop. I'd like, you want to see a flex right now? You know, the same day I had written a check for like $45 million and I'm, I'm having to bite my tongue. Like he doesn't know I could be his investor. By the way, there was a great lesson in that. Like I was mm. nobody. Shaved head, old truck, no name, no social media following. And this guy treated me just like that. Like I'm a nobody. And you never know who you're talking to or who they're friends with or who their family is that could support you potentially. Totally. Like the same day this guy's flexing on me about how he raised 30 million and he's the king of Pueblo and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I mean, like what I had in my checking account that day is Grant Cardone. I, I just wanted to pop it out on him. <laughs> like, like shut up dog what, tr treat everybody like you, you you never know who you're dealing with you, you yeah. know and and just because they're they're having a bad day you, you one you don't know who you're dealing with and you and number two more importantly you don't know who they're going to become mm, yeah they may not have money yet but in, in 10 years they might have a brand or audience or something that could support you every accredited investor was a non-accredited investor at one time every whale was a minnow I mean, you've been doing sales for, uh, what, four decades now? Yeah. You've, you've been selling from cars to real estate to everything in between, you know, 11 best-selling books. You've been, you've been a selling machine. How did it feel to go in uh, without being able to use any of that and go back to kind of the basics of like, okay, I'm a brand new car salesman just trying to figure out how to do this thing. How did you have the confidence or the courage to go in blind and try to build these relationships because I had the commitment, you know, I was committed mm. to the, I was committed to the, the outcome. I always say, man, commitment comes with, with time and money. The thing that you do extremely well is you're a master enroller grant. And I, I believe that we're either enrolling people in our vision or we're unenrolling them in our vision every moment, every day with our content, our posts, our interactions. And we could be unenrolling people in our brand from one conversation or one thing that we we do to piss someone off. Where did you learn the skill of enrollment, of getting people to buy into you and your vision? I think what, what I do is, and I talk about this in Sell or Be Sold. I've been a sales guy for a long time, and I, I just learned early on, and I was terrible at sales. 17 years old, 18, 19, part-time part -time sales guy, I was, I was awful. When I finally realized that sales was the only job I could get at 25 years old, I'm just like, dude, I just got to tell people the truth because I can't do all these tricks. <laughs> the NLP, right. the, and, and look, if it works for you, good, whatever. But the mirroring, the matching, they ask a question, you ask a question, the hot potato. I've, I've heard all these <laughs> strategies and I'm like, dude, I just can't do it. I'm just going to be me. Hey guys, I'm, I'm moving from LA. I'm out of work. I'm looking for opportunity. I'm trying to move my family here. My name's Lewis Curtis. Uh, 2008 beat me up. I got to get my family out of LA. Real estate's impossible. I can't buy it there. It's out, priced out of the market. And I'm here in Pueblo because I think there's opportunity here. And that's all I'm looking for. No handouts, no help. I don't, I got an old truck with me. I got no money. I left my kids with, you got to have your story. So people enroll, but you also have to be talking to the right audience. Mm. I only spent time with people that were able, capable, qualified. I spent no time. I was in a meeting once in Pueblo. I walked into the meeting, assessed the situation, and bounced. 
I said, guys, I'm done. I'm out of here. Boom. And I walked out. And, and my partner at that time, it, you'll see it later in the later shows. He's like, what, what just happened? I'm like, there's nothing here, bro. There's no money here. There's no, there's no opportunity here. And I'm on a clock. I couldn't tell him I'm, I'm on a clock. I couldn't, tell, <laughs> I couldn't tell anybody. So I had these little <laughs> secrets going on. So, you know, how do you enroll people? It's like, you got to get enrolled. Mm. You know, my, my, my personal integrity and ethics is why I can sell so hard. And because I believe in my product, I believe in my investment vehicle, I believe in my company, I don't trick people, screw people. Like 35 years I've been in business, there's not one person in 35 years that says I owe them money. There's people that try to get stuff from me using lawyers and bullshit, but there's nobody that can say I ever financially damaged them in any way, not a penny. And so that, right. that, that allows me to go back into the world and push. It allows me to sell tickets for big prices. You know, when I spend $7 million to, to rent Mandalay Bay, dude, I can sell anybody a $20,000 ticket. Like I spent, you know, somebody complained about my ticket price. I'm like, dude, like I spent $7 million on this event. You spent 20 grand? <laughs> who, who got the best deal? How did you learn to have courage in, your, in yourself when you were, you know, doing drugs and, uh, you know, uh, I think you're an alcoholic. I think in the past when you were a teenager, maybe not a full-on alcoholic. No, it was, a, it was a drug and, problem. It wasn't an alcohol yeah, problem. It was a drug Drugs problem. and just, uh, you know, kind of a deadbeat for uh, Thank you. off and off many years. How did you learn to kind of build confidence, though, so that you could be inspired in yourself to push bigger, to ask for more? How did you do that? Well, well first, I quit using drugs. I yeah. mean... The, the, the order, everybody wants to get better and have confidence, but the first thing you got to do is you got to quit doing whatever's destroying your, destroying your self-esteem, you know? Mm. Uh, I'd like to believe that I could look in the mirror and tell myself I'm great and, and then I'd feel it, but if you're destroying yourself the other 23 hours and 56 minutes, the self-talk isn't going to matter. So I had to quit doing damage to myself. Um, I hated myself. Uh, the worst part of my drug addiction was how not, it wasn't what just what the drugs were doing to me and, and the hangovers and the lost time. And it was the personal, personal deprivation and mm. degrade that I was doing to myself and how many times I tried to quit. I would Lewis every morning for 10 years. I, I said, today's the last day. I'm never going to use again. 15 minutes. 10 later, years. 10 year, uh, nine years and, and nine years and like six months. So what was the deciding factor that actually made you quit? Uh, I finally went, you know, I had to go some, some place. I had to change my environment. So I, I went to a treatment center in Minneapolis um, during the wintertime, late, late February. I was 25 years old and spent 28 days there in an environment where nobody had drugs. I didn't have access to drugs. And people were starting to talk about, okay, how, how, how'd you get here? Mm. Uh, they ended up putting me on drugs in the treatment center. And I'm like, I don't want the drugs, dude. And they're like, oh, no, you need it to detox, to get off. I'm like, this, this was 30 years ago. They, like, they've really ramped that program up now. It's the legal, legal drug dealer now is the treatment right. center. But, but the environment gave me at least, I was able to look around and see the damage drugs were causing these other people, men and women of all ages. And then that really solidified, okay, I'm stopping. But I needed, I needed a day, one day, not to use drugs because I had been using drugs every day for nine years, nine and a half years. Wow. 
And so I needed the first day. Once I got the first day, I'm like, shit, I can put together two days. Then my head started clearing up a little bit. 28 days later, I go home to Lake Charles, Louisiana, and that's when the rebuilding really took place. And, and I had to replace all that drug time, which was a bunch of hours every day. Uh, this is what made me the beast, like the, the savage that I am today. You had to put that time to good use. You Dude, had to be productive I had so it. much free time. <laughs> right, not being high, not doing drugs with... And not being looking with the friends drugs, that are doing the drugs. Looking for yeah. drugs, finding drugs, losing drugs. Like, you lose them, Hiding can't the find, drugs, yeah. Find them, buy them, lying to people, hiding from people. Uh, you know, it was terrible. It was terrible. I did that for nine and a half years. It was awful. It's, a, it's the worst part of my life. It's the darkest, worst part of my life. And so I had to crawl out. And, and then I replaced, literally, when I was 25 years old, I started every day with a meeting. And I ended every day with a meeting. I'd go to a, a Narcotics Anonymous meeting or some kind of 12-step program for, I'll bet you I did that for 15 or 16 years. So you were all in committed. I'm going to a, a meeting in the morning and at night. I'm either, I'm going there to help myself and I'm going to help somebody else every day. Wow. 15 years. Yeah. And then, and then um, that was my form of helping people. I'm like, I'm going to help other people that have this problem. That really kept me from going back. And then in the mean, when I wasn't at a meeting, I was studying sales for the first five. When I got out of the treatment center between 25 and 30 years old, all I did every day was study sales, do sales, or I was in a meeting. <laughs> That's impressive. I would What's drive 25 thing? minutes to work and I would listen to sales tapes. I listened to this one set of sales tapes I had and I would learn how to, how to, how, I would learn the game. Like I would learn how to talk to people, communicate. And it was really a communication skills. It wasn't so much sales. It was more logic, how to make sense of a purchase or an investment. Mm. And then at lunch, sometimes at lunch, I'd go to a meeting. What was the, uh, in those early tapes, is there anything you remember that you still use today that, that seems to work consistently uh, on the, the science or secret of selling that, that's very simple maybe for someone to do, but maybe they just don't have the courage or confidence of the reps to do it. What, what happened the first, when I really started learning from the, the, the in the beginning, what, what you learn is you're learning from the master, you know? And, and so I'm, I'm duplicating and emulating. Then at some point you cross over and you become the master. Mm. And, and if, if you're a guy like me, I'm always looking to improve everything. I'm looking for another little tweak, another little twist. You and I did that with the podcast. I'm looking for that, that next thing all the time, how to make something just a little better, uh, a little faster. And so at some point, I kept studying this guy until I, I was able. In the beginning, I didn't challenge anything. I used. I duplicated. Mm. Let me, I got let me follow the script that I, that I learned. Let me use exactly what he's telling me to do. Do it. I, whatever, whatever I heard, I'm going to be like, I'm going to make that work. That's going to be my stable datum. And once I could re once I could trust that, then I could build on top of it. I never yeah, butted anything. Oh, I got a better way in the beginning, dude, until I got the results over and over consistent results. Then I started, be, then I started teaching it to other people. Then I started learning angles. And then, then, mm. then I basically created my own style and my own, I actually, almost threw away what I had learned and created this new thing called information-assisted selling. Information-assisted selling. Where I started leading with what people wanted rather than this guy kind of hid. It was the old school, hide it. 
Don't you know, avoid the price, bring it up later. And that's where I really started accelerating everything, giving people the information up front, allowing you to understand how much this watch or ring was or car was. Before you even asked about it, I'd tell you it's 58000 mm. Right away. So you wouldn't wait to the very end. You'd say, here's everything. Yeah, so everything. look, look if, you're, if you're shopping for a car or a watch or a ring or a, a coaching program, whatever it is, you, you probably want to know how much it is. I know I would. This, this particular product's 58000 It would require about you know $2,500 down. Your payments would be about five fifty a month. Um, let's be sure you're on the right product. You see, I've already... I got the va- the value proposition, the money. I got you thinking about money mm. right now. I want you thinking about money so that when I show the product, you can start making sense of it because I can't convince you that it's worth it. Mm. You have to so convince you, you. Yeah. Okay, I can build value, but you, the buyer is the buyer. I can't be the buyer. I can only help the buyer make sense of it. Is there a certain amount of steps in this selling system that you have it, uh yeah it's like like five like like tell them what your intention are my intention is to get you to to be to be a service to you to do business with you okay mm. so right up front if i'm if i'm looking to buy real estate i'm doing a co- say let's say i'm doing a i'm doing a web a webinar and, and it's a coaching class because you and i are in that space yeah yeah you, you've heard me many times open the event with hey my intention is to get all of you to be my customer tonight we have a $1,900 program or a $9,000 program. We're going to offer it to you tonight for $9.97. It's sitting over there at the website right now. If you want to go click it, get it. But my intention is to make every one of you a customer tonight. The most you can spend with me is $9.97 tonight, okay? Or you spend nothing at all. And then what I'm going to do is spend the next three days or three hours or 30 minutes talking about this program. Hmm. But I let everybody know right from the get-go. Now, Russell, Russell does it different. You know, he's going to wait till the end. So that's step one is be clear with your intention about... What's my intention? Okay, second is, what do I have to offer? Three, I need to qualify the lead. Is the lead even qualified to do anything with me? Otherwise, I need to bounce. They have the money. Yeah. I need to bounce. Do Do you tell people, hey, just go ahead and get off this training right now if you're... if your intention is not to be a customer or do you allow them to kind of no, you can you can you. you can listen if you want to you yeah. can keep listening if you want to is you know you can watch for free if you choose to but let, let's say i'm selling a guy a watch i mean i'm going to tell him it's fifty-eight thousand. we do have a payment plan payments could be as low as 300 bucks a month um but let me ask you a question have you bought, ever bought a fifty-eight thousand dollar watch no what kind of watch do you have I got a Seiko. Great. How much was it? $200. Right. Mm. Now he's telling me, hey, maybe move him in di- into some different inventory. I might be on the wrong product. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's step three, I think. You yeah. And then, 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 and then it's going to be, I'm going to explain my product. Be sure it fits his needs. Okay. And then I'm going to trial close him and say, hey, come on inside. Let's, let's make this work. Let me make you a customer. Let me get you a watch. Let me get you a car. Let me get you a coaching program. Let me get you started. And then I'm going to close the deal. Did you say trial close? Is that what you said? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to test it. I'm going to try to move that. I'm going to try to move the buyer. Hey, go to the, go to the table, right? Mm-hmm. For those yeah. of you go who are che- ready, go, go to the, the checkout table. page. Huh? Yeah, go to the checkout page. I'll go, go to, to the, the landing page, page, right? And, and then hopefully I'll close the deal. And then, and then I move into follow-up. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, just, it's not really a sales process. It's really a customer experience. And, and what have you learned about, you've done so many massive uh deals over the last three or four years in real estate what have you learned about 
negotiations and and the power of negotiating uh, to get exactly what you want in these bigger, you know, mega multi-million dollar deals that you're doing. It's uh, it gets pretty intense, man. Like big the negotiation mass- process. Oh yeah, massive egos. Like <laughs> you got a lot of people involved. You got very intelligent people involved. Everybody's got money. You know, it's like the whale and the great, the great, the 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 great white and the killer whales there and the humpbacks there and dude, it's a feeding frenzy. Like like, you know, everybody's got bulk, everybody's got muscle, everybody's got power, everybody's got money, and and you know, it's. Um, but you so know, what have you what have, what have you learned about the art of negotiation during you know these bigger deals for yourself? How to navigate those. You, you know, most of these deals are lost over face. They're not even lost over money. They're lost over somebody losing face. I'm doing a deal right now. You mean ego or mean like, uh, what do you mean? I, I can't, if I give you any more, I lose face. Okay, got you. So I'm negotiating a deal right now. And I said, look, if I give this guy exactly what he wants right now, he still will not do it. And they're like, mm. why is that? Because he's going to lose face. So it's, 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 people have to win. It's, it's almost never about just the money. It's how do I win, not just financially, but how do I win and feel good about this transaction? Because I've done transactions before where I uh, supposedly won in the moment and everybody felt terrible. So it's not a win unless everyone wins. Dude, dude everybody needs to win. Everybody needs to win something. Like everybody needs to feel like good about the transaction. I'd rather pay a little more and make sure you feel good than I pay a little less and you feel bad because I can't do another deal with you now. Mm. And I'm trying to do more deals. And then everybody's got, everybody's got a motivation. Everyone has a motivation. Every buyer has a motivation. Every seller has a motivation. Most of the time it has nothing to do with the money. You, you have to find the motivation. How do you do that quickly for yourself? Are you asking certain questions to figure out what that is? Are you just listening to their, you know, without asking them, what's your motivation? How do you I, ask I could, them? I could ask that. Uh, other than money, what, what, you know, why, what do you need? What's your motivation? I could ask them straight up. Asking, asking those kind of direct questions are very powerful. Hey, why would you pick me as a buyer? There's so many other people that could buy this asset. Like that's one I used in the real estate game. These are $100 million projects, some of which you're invested in. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, guys, like J.P. Morgan's trying to buy this. Blackstone's trying to buy this. Grant Cardone's trying to buy this. And two other groups that have more assets than I have. I- I'm the little guy on the list. Why me? Why would you pick me? Well, we probably won't. See, that's me qualifying. <laughs> Right. You know, we're probably going to give it to we're probably going to give it to the guy that just sold uh, the New York Mets. I just lost a deal to that guy. So there was no number. There was nothing I could have done. No number I could have done that would have gotten that deal. So what does that do for you when you have that information? Does it just allow you to move on quicker yeah. to the next opportunity? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll keep my, you know, I'll keep my, I, I, I stay in real estate. It's called staying by the board. I'm waiting for a rebound. Mm-hmm. Maybe he blows. Mm-hmm. Maybe the guy leaves and I'm there waiting for the, waiting for the rebound. I'm just waiting for a ball to fall in my hands, right? And, and so, um, so I'll wait. I'll wait until he closes. Um, but but it lets me know, hey, go add something else. That's that 10x mentality. Okay, don't depend mm-hmm. on this one thing. 
you know, if you're disappointed, if I'm disappointed, it's because I'm relying on too few of things. Mm. If I resent my customer, it is because I have too few. Too few customers. Yeah. So everybody, the beauty salon, the restaurant, the bar, the bar owner, um, the consultant, we've all had the experience of resenting our customers, starting not to like them. And it's because we become dependent upon them. We have too few. If we're resenting our customer, what is that saying about us? That we're not building our brand, that we're not growing, that we're not selling enough? Yeah, you, you didn't go, you didn't, you didn't build the top of your funnel out enough because this, this part of it's easy. Hmm. Even though you hate them, they never pay you. This is the kind of stuff that goes on. They don't pay me enough. They always complain. They never use the product. No matter what I do for them, they bitch and complain. Okay. <laughs> They're never happy. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Well, right. the truth is, those are indications that you didn't build your, your customer base wide enough because you now resent them. Your resentment is an indication that you rely on them too much. And every time they complain to you, it reminds you, shit, I'm too reliant on too little. And, and we've all done it. We all do it. I've done it. Uh, right now, I'm doing it in my real estate. I told my guy, Ryan, the other day, I said, we're depending on this one guy too much. And he's like, why, why do you say that? Because I'm starting to resent him. So what's the first thing we should do? What are the, what's the action steps after that when we resent our customers? You, you got you to gotta understand it's not about them. It's about you. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with them. You need to go wide. You need to go get more customers. If you resent Facebook, if, you, if, if Facebook pisses you off, it is because you are too reliant on Facebook. Mm, you got to get other platforms. You got to build other leads in other places. There's a ton of social media sites. Don't rely on one. Exactly. And so for me, resentment is always an indication of something about me. What happens if you resent a family member? If you resent your kids, you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to go find new kids. <laughs> yeah, no, but... But I don't know. I mean, I don't resent my kids. So, you know, yeah, yeah. I might maybe I'm doing some stuff with my kids. I don't have that particular issue, but maybe maybe I'm doing some stuff with my kids that somebody else should be doing. Mm. Right. So maybe, you know, I remember when Elena, when we first had Sabrina, I said, Elena, you cannot be with Sabrina every hour of every of the day. And, and, and I'm like, I don't want that. I, we need to get a nanny so that you're not resenting. Mm that your entire life, and I know this is hard for women to hear, but no, no woman, no, no, no man or woman should spend all their time with a kid. Like, how can that be entertaining? Like, I, I love my kids. I don't want to be with them all the time. Right. Ne never have right. wanted to be with them all the time. I, I want to be with them more now when they're growing up than I did when they were three months old. Like, not, like oh, you're so cute, you're so cute, until you're not. <laughs> and so, and so, you know, if you're resenting your kids, maybe it's because you are not willing to spend money on a nanny mm. or thinking of new strategies, just yeah. like in your business. What's a new strategy to increase your customers, to increase yeah, the yeah. top of the funnel, to bring people in? Yeah. 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 You know, a lot of people will say this, even still today, I know you've talked about this a lot, that, uh, that money won't make you happy. Uh, do you think most people with money are happy. People that have above their means, that have an abundance of finances in their bank, that can buy anything, go anywhere at any time. Do you think most of them are happy? And how do you build wealth and stay happy at the same time? 
Well, number one is I don't think, you know, money will not make you happy. Like, if you're not happy, you're not happy. So it'll make you jubilant and it'll make you giddy for a second. You know, if I dropped off $100 million, you know, at your feet right now, uh, it would definitely change your attitude for a bit. But sooner or later, you're coming back. You're, you're coming back to your, your, your happiness level. I've never tried to get money to make me happy, ever. I've never thought, oh, I'm going to go get X money, this much money, and I'm going to somehow be happier. I've never, ever, I don't even know where this concept came from, the, the connection between the two. You know, I go to the gym, I think I'm going to build muscle. I go to the water fountain, I think I'm going to quench a thirst. I go to a football game, I think I'm going to be entertained. I get money, I never think about, okay, I'm going to get 10 million bucks, and I'm going to suddenly be happy. Mm. Now, I, never, I never even think about it like that. I'm going to get 10 million, and then I'm going to invest it, and I'm going to pick up 30 million on the next swing, and I'm going to take 30 million and convert that to 90 million, and I'm going to take that and convert it into 270, and I'm going to get to, you know, blah, 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 right? And then what am I going to do with it? But, dude, I'm never thinking about it. It's going to make me happy. We just, we just gave, uh, in December, uh, $25 million to Irrevocable Trust that will fund a, a charity for the next 25 years. Wow. Another $8 million to charity in cash in, in December. Like, that didn't make me happy either, but it sure made them happy. <laughs> for a moment, yeah. For a moment. And they're like, wow, man, that's awesome. You know, they all celebrate and everything. Made me feel good. I don't know that it made me happy. What do you do to cultivate happiness uh, on a daily basis for yourself beyond the money. Yeah, so happiness for me comes from doing Personally, stuff. Personally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It comes yeah. from accomplishing things. Like I experience my happiness when, when I accomplish something I'm proud of. So when we do a conference and I walk away and I'm thrilled at the event we put on, the quality, the lights, you know, that feels good. You know, when, when my, yeah. the people around me are happy, when I look around, when I'm proud of who I'm being and doing every day, you know, that makes me happy. Seeing my kids, my kids are, I'm so proud of my kids. They're such a, you know, a validation that I'm a good guy. When I can't see the good guy mm. in me, I can look at Sabrina and Scarlett and say, hey, dude, you got to be a good guy to produce those because I got good kids. Yeah, I saw the speech. Uh, I think she was, Sabrina was like 11 or 10 or 11. I can't yeah, remember when yeah. she did the speech on stage. I was like, this girl's a better speaker than me now at 37 as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old. And the confidence and the poise, I was like, that's a, that's a skill right there. You must have been very proud watching her on stage. Oh, my God. Just like her dancing down the aisle, you know, that, that video. So I'm so proud of that video. She wrote her own speech, practiced her own speech, uh, threw away her index cards in the middle of it. <laughs> wrote her own jokes, wrote her own jokes, uh, you know, practiced and knew how to use the teleprompter. I mean, and the same thing for my eight-year-old. Like, they did that. And, and so I'm really proud of that. Elena's done a great job with them. They've done communication courses for ki kids that really help them have that confidence and social presence. So that makes me so happy, bro. There's nothing that makes me happier than that. My, my friendship with you, the how it's grown and developed, um, that makes me happy. But money, money, man, you know, being on my plane, dude, sometimes being on my plane, nobody else is on it, just me. I get giddy. Like, like, like those are moments where I'm like, dang, I love this plane so much. <laughs> get, you know, finishing the Pueblo project yeah. made me really happy and proud. But, dude, I wasn't happy while I was doing it. Right. 
But finishing hard things makes you happy. Totally. But it was that yeah. was the hardest hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Probably the best and worst experience I've ever had in my lifetime was an undercover billionaire. The thing that inspires me about you, there's a lot of things that inspire me about you. And, and you rub a lot of people the wrong way. And uh, you get a lot of negative criticism online, a, a lot more positive than negative. But you definitely rub a lot of people the wrong way. You say things that can be offensive at times. You frustrate people. You uh, offend people. All these things. I've known you for 12 years. I know you behind the scenes. I know, you know a lot more about who you are than some of the content you put out there. But one of the things that inspires me about you is your ability to reinvent after 50. And I think there's a lot of people when they hit 40 or 50, they think of, okay, well, my best years are behind me. I had my opportunity in my 20s and 30s to build something. There's no way I'll be able to build something now in my 50s and beyond. Whereas you kind of said, I'm 50, now's the time to build. What is the, the mindset you would share with anyone who's 40, 50, or 60 and be, uh, above who hasn't accomplished what they want yet? What would you say to them based on what you've learned after 50? You know, I used to tell myself I would never have anything to contribute to the world until I was 50. Because I'm very immature. I've always been described as a rough diamond, like, like rough around the edges, abrasive, not much of a filter, you know, I, I, I am. I mean, I know everything that people say negative about me for every one thing every, the public has. I, I know I know every one of them. There's nothing anybody ever says about me that surprises me. I'm like, yeah, I know that. Like, you guys don't <laughs> think I know that I, I live with me every day. Like <laughs> I did actually did not think I would have anything to contribute worthwhile until I was 50 years old. And uh, that was about the time the economic uh, collapse was, the Great Recession. And I was so lost in that financially. I didn't understand. I was actually being formed right there. I was being matured. I was being prepared for whatever's going on in my life right now. Uh, Really, the the, the creation of Grant Cardone has happened in the last 10 or 12 years, not not before that. The Grant Cardone people know today is being, being developed right now. And I would just tell people that are older, like, dude, you're going to have more energy later unless you don't. You're going to have more genius later unless you refuse to. You're going to have the ability to influence more unless you refuse to influence. And age has got nothing to do with the game. Like, nobody really knows my age. Like, uh, I was 50 years old when I was in Pueblo. I told everybody I'm 50 years old. My name's Lewis Curtis. I have two kids, beautiful two kids. I got a wife named Ava. Uh, had made up names for the kids. I had to make up all that story. And we live in LA and I hate it. Um, because if I told people I was me in Miami, uh, if anybody went and searched it and started doing, you know, images, like yeah. people do all that stuff today. I know. So um, I would just tell people, man, you look, I look at people that are 80 years old. I'm like, dude, I got 20 years left. You know how much damage I could do in 20 years? I know guys are in great shape. Uh, Dolly Parton, I mean, she's still hammering. She never did nine to five. She made some money on a song called nine to five. (laughs) You know, but she's been doing five to nine for, for years. So I just think people can get better if they want to, or they can get worse. You're either going to decay or you're going to reboot yourself over and over again. Mm. 
the 2008, 2009 was tough for you, just like it was for a lot of people. What was the lesson you learned then that prepared you for 2020 that you, when the recession hit, you said, okay, I know exactly what to do based on that pain in 2008? Yeah, well, I was so disappointed with myself then. Like, I had not put my family in a position to, to flourish and prosper because of suppression. You know, the tide goes out, you don't have a boat, shame on you. Right. And I didn't have a boat, dude. I, I mean, I had, I looked good. I looked good until it happened. You had a suit, you had the car. I yeah. thought I was good. I thought I was good, but I was too small. Small, small always gets hurt. And that, that was my big wake up call in 2008. I didn't have enough assets. I didn't have enough money. I, my business was too small. My customer base was too small. Uh, I was too reliant on too few verticals. This was the creation of 10X. I, I blame no one in 2008, nine and 10. I was like, okay, I'm in shit. I got myself in shit. This is not about the mortgage crisis. It's not about the builders. It's not about the strippers that got 17 loans. This is about me. I was in this pile of shit. I was in this fear. I, was, I let my family and myself down. Nothing was happening to me. And the most important thing is I was not in a position to take advantage of it. That's the thing that pissed me off. Mm -hmm. And so I told Elaine, I said, the next time this happens, dude, we're going to freaking rock. And then COVID, it happened. And COVID, I was shooting a TV show and my company would have the best year it's ever had. Wow. I wasn't even here. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we bought more assets this year than we bought the year before. We raised more money this year than the year before it. Um, you know, when, when, when Lehman collapsed in 2008, I had $50 million worth of debt. I told Elaine, I said, the next time the shit hits the fan, I'm going to have a billion dollars worth of debt. I know I told her, I, I said, I'm going to have a half a billion dollars worth of debt. We had a $1.2 billion worth of debt when COVID hit. And so people understand, what does that mean? You want that debt. Much debt. You want debt, man. You want debt. Who gets, who keeps getting bailed out? Only your mommy and daddy think that you should have all your debt paid off. The big boys want debt. They want lots of it. Government has debt. California's, California can never, ever pay all its debts. That why, that's why it keeps shutting down California, because they're trying to get money from the federal government to bail them out. What, what's the difference between good debt and bad debt? Because I think when people might hear this, they might say, okay, open up a bunch of credit cards and spend it on whatever you want. Yeah, as opposed well, to we're back to that first question about spending versus uh, investing, right? So consumer debt is terrible debt, suicide debt. That's, that's credit card debt. Lamborghini, that's... buying the Lamborghini on debt. Uh, Look, if you're going to buy a Lamborghini, at least it for 24 months. If you can't afford the 24 months, you can't afford the Lambo. Debt for clothes, Christmas gifts. I mean, it's stupid. It's stupid to borrow money for, for, for this Santa Claus for your kids. I know, I know people are going to hate that message. That's why so many people dislike, you know, they, they just don't like the well, truth. It's stupid to go in debt. If you want to do it and uh, and for, for fun or for whatever, then that's okay. But you may, you're not investing in a potential greater future. No. Now, if I, if I borrow money for Santa Claus, that's one thing. If I borrow money for, to, to invest, to, to, to buy, to invest in, in a piece of real estate for my kids, you know, I mean, I know which one's going to work. Yeah. If you just follow the tax write-offs, you'll know the right thing to do. I can't write off Santa. I can write off the real estate. Right. So, um, yeah, bad debt is anything that I have to then pay the interest rate on. Good debt is... I made an investment and my consumer or my tenant is going to pay my debt. 
That's powerful. So you're trying to you're trying to get more debt. You probably have more debt with me than you even know. Like like because of the investments you've made with me, you have debt. You have good debt. Uh-huh. You just don't really know it. Your accountant does though, because because we're sending them the K one at the end of the year. That's why yeah. when we send you a check, you don't pay income on that check. That's nice. Very nice. So you <laughs> you look at your return, but you know whatever I paid you last year, but that is non taxable income to you. Because of the debt that we have. Because of the uh, debt. Yeah, exactly. On the asset. Exactly. So what's your goal for, for a year from now? How much debt do you want to have? Oh, yeah. Uh, Goddamn, I'd love to double that, dude. I got to double that to get where I'm going. We, we have $2.3 trillion worth of, worth of um, $2.3 billion, Sorry, not trillion. <laughs> a trillion, Dang. Man. <laughs> See, the 10X You're... thing starts getting harder and harder, right? So, yeah. Um, Two point three billion worth of assets. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to hit six by the end of this year. I don't think I don't think it's possible, but that'd be freaking awesome. So, if it was possible, what would need to happen? I would need to buy a portfolio. I have to change the way I'm doing things. I I got to quit buying one deal at a time, and I got to buy a portfolio, or I got to go buy a company. That I got to go eat doable. somebody this- that's got you know nine thousand units. I have nine thousand, so if I went and grabbed somebody's portfolio. So you just need to find someone who's got 9,000 units or you need to, what was the other option? Buy, buy, buy so, portfolios. That seems pretty possible. So, yeah, but you see that clarity right there, you helping me with that clarity shows me who I need to talk to. Yeah, I mean, who are, do you know three people, do you know three people in your mind who's got 9,000 units or who has the bigger portfolios that you could oh, yeah. buy? Oh, yeah, I got a list of 100 guys that have bigger portfolios than I do. What would it take from you to get to six billion in the next six months not 12 months what would it take from you that, 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 that i just couldn't close the deals that fast i mean some things physically take more time <laughs> okay i mean you know at least that's what i'm thinking right now but look if i got it done this year that would be massive dude. it would be like you're talking about what i've done in 25 years being done in one year hey you did the same thing on youtube last year you know thir- 13 years of content you got more views in one year on youtube yeah you're right. It's all relative, man. You're right. You're right, dude. I, that's why, I, look, I do these podcasts at the School of Greatness because every time I do one, I end up better off. I don't know what you do to me while we do these, but every time I come out, I'm bigger. Well, I hear you say it's not possible to do it this year to get to $6 billion from 2.4. But then I said, well, if it was possible, you said, well, I just need to find more portfolios or acquire someone who's got 9,000 units. And then, yeah, that's and, then, and then you'll drop it in there. You'll drop in the good question, okay? And then I'll start, I'll start working on it. And then you guys, you guys think I can do it or not do it. Just follow, maybe a year from now, we'll do another we should one. Do, we, should do a, we should do a million dollar bet on it. Maybe if you had that, the pressure, the top, you know, all those things, maybe it would create. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's pretty hard. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm running up against my blocks. You did this last time, though. Last two times you ran up against blocks, but then you blew past them. You, you, dude, you're playing the seed, bro. One thing I'm about me, to... one thing nobody can say that I don't, I, like I use information. I use experiences. I leverage everything. Like I, can, I'm a, I, I consume and I multiply. I don't just consume. And, and too many people just consume and never use. So what do like, you mean by that? They're just they're consuming information, but they're never applying it. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, you're, you, 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 you're either a consumer a producer or an investor. And, and I, I'm all three. I consume it, I produce on it, and then I invest in it. And I'm greedy too, by the way. I'm greedy about my own, my own self-improvement. 
Yeah. I'm greedy and I am, I am, I am very highly interested in my personal self-improvement because I know that's where it all starts. I have, to, I have to make me the most important thing in my life because other people can't get better if I don't. What are the three things you'd like to improve over the next year, personally? You know, I would love to improve my communication skills. Clubhouse is like the amount of eloquence, the amount of people there that are able to see other people's viewpoints has been fascinating to me. So number one, I'd like to become a better communicator. Uh, number two, and I think I already am just from being on Clubhouse. Like Cl Clubhouse has been a, an incredible gift to me. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun to be in those rooms with you. Yeah, and, and so I've learned a lot about how to talk, how to listen uh, that I didn't know because of the two-way communication. You don't get that from, from Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, I don't get it from dropping a video on YouTube. Uh, number two is the collaboration. I want to collaborate with more people. Uh, number three, th third thing I want to do, uh, you know, I mean, I need to work on my relationships. My, my personal relationships uh, could be a better husband, definitely a better husband. I've been, go I've been running really fast. The, the, the show was, I think the show caused a lot of friction between me and Elena. Mm, really? Um, yeah, because I was, I, w I was in this thing, bro. Like I was in hell. And she was giving me pep talks. I'm like, hey, dude, I don't need a pep talk right now. Like, you don't understand. It's 15 degrees. I'm dying out here. Okay. And she's like, you can do it. You can do it. I'm like, yeah, okay, click. Like, you don't wow. get it. Like, like it, it, was, it, it put a lot of stress on us. And then we were apart. So we learned how to be apart. And like, so, so that's got to get. I mean, just between me and you, that's got to get, I don't, I don't, this doesn't have to make the podcast, but uh, I, I got some work to do on that, just uh, to be sure. frank and honest. Every Relationships time are hard, off, man. You know, you they know. They are hard. After how many years you've been married? 15? 15 or 16, yeah. 15, 16, yeah. You've been together for over 15 years. What do you say is the, uh, the this is an important question, and we're going to get to the end here soon, but I think this is huge. How do you navigate building financial wealth and creating a healthy marriage or partnership in a relationship at the same time. Cause I feel money is the biggest thing that breaks up or causes stress or with relationships. How do you manage both? Yeah. It's just, you know, for me, like we don't have money. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say that everybody has money problems. There's different problems. I just, just realized when I was saying that I'm like, Oh yeah, I have money problems too. They're just, it's a flip side of the problem. So it's not really a problem with money, dude. It's decision-making. Every day I'm doing stuff that's like, you know, there's some things only, you're always by yourself. There's some things in life that no matter how much love you have or how close your partner is, you're still by yourself in that moment. I can talk about it. I can share it. We can hug it out. It's, I'm still left with the burden of that decision. You know what I'm saying? And, and am I doing the right thing? Like, there's a lot of things that I'm involved in that, that right now that maybe Elena doesn't even want me to do it that way. Mm. And she's like, you know, and I'm like, no, I have to do it this way. Like, everyone is against me doing it that way, except wow. me. Like, like a business thing or like a personal thing or you don't have to share if you don't want to, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, like a number of those things. Yeah. You know, like... When COVID happened, we shut, I shut our department down. Everybody was against that except me. I was all by myself in that decision.
Mm. People are like, no, let's just like cut back uh, salaries a little bit. It'll keep people. Keep everybody. I'm like, no, we're going we're gonna to eliminate that department. You guys need to think about this overnight. This is going to be the worst. This is going to be the worst <laughs> contraction in my lifetime. I'll, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. We walked out of the meeting. Everyone was against it. How many people did you have to let 40, go in that 40, department? 42. A whole, a whole department. What, now, looking back almost a year later, was that a, in your mind, was that a great decision? And was it, is your team seeing or it was a good decision? Or was it, 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 it was def- it a was mistake. A mistake? It was definitely a mistake. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was a mistake and your team told you not to do it. Yeah, but I would do it again. <laughs> I would do the same thing again. Why? Because who would have thought the U.S. government would print seven trillion dollars of cash we printed more money in 2020 that we printed one fifth 20 percent 21 percent of all the currency u.s dollars in circulation were printed in 2020. who would think that had that not been done dude we would be we would be in a we would be in a situation right now that would be unfathomable for everybody so i did the right thing it just so happens the government came in and you know, floated everybody. Uh, mm-hmm. America thinks they're good. They're not. Um, I did the right thing because for two reasons, but it was unpopular, right? And I and I got supposedly I got destroyed on the internet, which I didn't. I got lifted up actually, but because all hate makes you great. So, um, <laughs> uh, but but what it did do at our company was the people that were left here. 140 employees were left here. Dude, everybody understood this is a serious situation. Got to step up. And that's why we ended up with the best year we've ever had. Wow. Because everybody's like, oh, shit. Now, I just happened to be the first, probably the first company in America that laid off people. We laid off 40 people. We have since, uh, we're since, before 2020 was over, I think we were at full employment again. I don't have that that department, though. I don't have that department. Uh I still don't have that department. And, and that's where we made the mistake because I want that company. Mm. That company, that division is really important to me. But when you finish watching Undercover Billionaire, you'll, you'll, you'll see something else happen. Okay, there you go. Well, this is inspiring, man. Uh, always good stuff. I want to make sure people go watch Undercover Billionaire. The whole season's out right now. I mean, it's not all out yet, but you'll see it week by week on Discovery. Or you can watch the back episodes on Discovery Plus, uh, Fubo. Uh, FUBU TV, Roku, all that stuff. Um, you can probably go online and watch back episodes depending on when you're listening to this or watching this. Make sure to follow Grant everywhere. YouTube, uh, podcast, Instagram. Club, me and Grant are clubbing going, with me. Me and Grant are going hard on Clubhouse. So he's Grant Cardone. I'm Lewis Howes over there. You'll probably join us in some in some rooms. If, you, if you're on Clubhouse, you'll probably see both of us in rooms interacting. This is inspiring, man. There's so many things I would love to talk about, but I think it'll just set it up for another great interview in, in the next year. So any final any final uh, thoughts or wisdom you'd like to share? No, dude, I love you. You know you know how I feel about you, and, and, I, and I, I've loved how our, you know, when people ask me who my friends are, you're one of those people that I call a friend and count as a friend. And I know, I know people talk a lot of smack about me. And, and I know in the beginning, I don't think you stood up for me in the beginning, but I know you do now because you <laughs> yeah. understand me. Yeah, and, yeah. and my bad in the past for, this is what I was saying about learning from Clubhouse, is like I'm learning to communicate better. Mm. And he, 
you know, negativity that I've collected over the past, I was responsible for because I just I was a poor communicator. But my intentions are good. My heart's good. I want to help people. And um, money matters. And, and, and so does success. Everybody deserves bunches of it. Everybody can have it. And, and so when Discovery, Discovery offered to do this thing for me, I'm like, dude, this is a, the American people are going to see Grant Cardone in a different light. Because mm. now I'm not teaching or preaching. Now you right. just get You're to sure. watch. You just get to roll along with me. Watch these other two chicks. Watch me. See what we both come up with, all three of us. See what we create. And, and pick your style. But I promise you, when people see the last week and see what I create, they're going to be like, fuck. <laughs> I didn't like him, but I need to, I need to learn those moves. Right, right. So, so and, 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 you know, I'm not Grant Cardone in the show. I, I'm, I'm an everyday guy with no money, no credit, no banks, no solutions, but I'm just focused the whole time. I'm like a hungry mm. dog on the back of a meat truck. I just won't let go. And, and I figure out, without them helping me, I figure out how to prove the American dream is alive and well without money and without credit with just some hustle. Well, make sure you guys go watch that Undercover Billionaire. Uh, it's going to inspire you. Definitely going to watch the whole season. Also, if you want to uh, learn more from Grant in our last interview, he shares his three truths. I'm not going to share them here. You're going to have to go listen to the previous episode and also his definition of greatness. I'll link that up in the show notes. But Grant, I acknowledge you, man, for constantly reinventing. I mean, to be at the level you are financially and to put yourself in the 90 days of hell I acknowledge you for taking on the challenge. Uh, it's it's not something I would want to do. So just putting yourself out there in uncomfortable ways consistently is inspiring, and it's what's allowing you to continue to grow. So I appreciate you, man. Thanks for all that you do. Thank you, brother. And we'll talk Love soon, you. brother. Love you, brother. Love appreciate you too, man. Thank you again, my friend, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got some wisdom out of this. Every time Grant comes on, I'm always learning something new, and he inspires me to keep thinking bigger. And a lot of the times, I think we don't think big enough. We think too small, and therefore, we get the results based on our level and quality of our thinking. And sometimes people think too big, but then they don't act on it. So to thinking in a certain way and then following up with that massive action is always important. And you might fail at some things. In fact, you will fail at a lot of things, but that's going to help give you the information to improve and grow every single day. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me. If you click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now, if you left a review and a rating, it would help us so much in serving and impacting 100 million lives weekly, which is our mission here at the School of Greatness, to bring incredible tools, training, inspiration, interviews from the greatest minds in the world world and to spread that message to as many people as possible. So every time you subscribe or leave a review or share this with a friend, it helps us all change more lives. So please do that right now and always tag me on Instagram if you're posting it so I can know who's listening and when you're listening and what you're really inspired by. It'll help me create more content that you're looking for as well. And if you want inspirational messages from me to your phone every single week, then send me the word podcast. Shoot me a text with that word podcast to 614-350-3960 to get on my texting list where we send you inspirational messages, motivation, and other surprises every single week. And I want to leave you with this quote from Oprah Winfrey who said, Everyone wants to ride with you in the limo, but what you want is someone who will take the bus with you when the limo breaks down. 
Oh, I hope you enjoyed this one. Powerful as always. And I want to remind you, if no one's told you lately, that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. I'm so grateful for you and your time today. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Great.